even as we have begun our service today by saying, open now our hearts to hear. We pray that as we delve into your word today, that we will know that it is really just the Bible and only the Bible. We pray it in your Son's name, the living word. Amen. I have served as pastor in this town now for three and a half going on four years. During that time, I make it around to various places, Toastmasters Club, for example, to meet people who work in this community. Other times I run into them, maybe out at Books a Million or other places, and sooner or later people want to know who I am or what it is I do. And when I tell them I'm a pastor, they say, oh, really, where? And I say, at First Lutheran Church. And they go, really? Where is that? I say, it's on Texas Boulevard. We're about two to three long blocks from State Line, right before the curve. And they go, huh, hmm. So it's kind of right across the street from Spring Lake Baptist. They kind of go, oh, yeah, okay. It's the church that's got three crosses, one of them facing the wrong direction. Uh, Yeah. It's the one that has goofy signs. Oh, that church! The one with the funny signs. Well, but then they want to know, so what kind of a church are you? And I don't know if they would be happier if I said, we're a full-blown cult. (laughs) But they want to know what kind of church this is. And I always start by saying, well, we're Lutheran. It's kind of like, okay. It's like, what? And I said, and we're actually Missouri Synod Lutheran, which doesn't seem to help much. But then I've learned lately to say, we're a Protestant church. We're Protestant. We happen to be a Missouri Synod Lutheran church, but we are also a Protestant church. And you know, for many people, the minute you hear that word Protestant, it reminds you that there are three main divisions in Christianity. You've got the Catholic, the Orthodox, and the Protestant church. And in fact, most of the churches here in Texarkana would be considered Protestant churches. And if you're a student of church history, you know that there are thousands of Protestant churches scattered around the world. And and while Protestant churches vary in a whole bunch of different ways, all of them can trace trace themselves back to the Protestant Reformation that took place in Germany in the 16th century. That Protestant movement was born on October the 31st in the year 1517 when a rather obscure Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg, Germany. I'm pretty sure that Martin had absolutely no idea that nailing these 95 theses on the front door of this church were going to change the course of history. I think all he really wanted to do was to spark a little bit of a a debate about church practices, because he felt like the church of that day, the Catholic church, was very corrupt. 
But he didn't just start a debate. He started an out-and-out revolution. And I don't think it's any stretch or exaggeration at all to say that a direct line stretches all the way from 4600 Texas Boulevard all the way back to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. You know, we're all Protestants today, but we are a variation of the Protestant Church, which happens to be Missouri Synod Lutheran, because we stand where Martin Luther stood many years ago. This morning, we're beginning a new series, uh, kind of to take a look back at our Protestant heritage, and specifically that Missouri Synod Lutheran part of the Protestant heritage, and we're going to talk about the four solas of the Reformation. Now, the word sola is the Latin word for only or alone. And I'm going to tell you in your outline this morning, there are no fill-in-the-blanks. I, I actually wrote everything out because I just had so much to say, I just had to put it down, and you could just kind of look at it, you'll know where I'm at. But, you know, as this Reformation spread over history, the early Reformers coined four different Latin phrases that became kind of like the battle cry of uh, the Protestant Reformation. And what we're going to do is take a look at each of these four statements in these next four weeks to try to figure out what they meant by it, but more importantly, to see how relevant it is still today in the 21st century. Now, I've heard you use this word before many times this morning, Protestant. Part of the Protestant Reformation. In that word, Protestant, is a word called protest. Now, today we've got a lot of people protesting across America. You know, Occupy Wall Street, for example. That's why I said today, I declare this today to be Occupy First Lutheran. Maybe we're gathered here for a better, more concise reason. But Luther and his followers were called Protestants because they protested against some abuses of the Catholic Church, especially against the idea of indulgences where you could literally pay to have your sins forgiven and its emphasis on works righteousness, that somehow you could do good enough to get into heaven. Luther said, "Those that's wrong. It's not consistent with Scripture. We protest against that. Now, in our day, there's still a lot to protest against. I mean, we could protest against the moral decline of our nation. We could protest against the spiritual decline. We could protest against a doctrinal decline in our churches today. So we very proudly bear that tag of Protestant. We also proudly bear that tag of being Lutheran, Missouri Synod. Here are the four solas. Sola Scriptura. The Bible alone. That's what we're going to talk about today. Sola Christus. Christ alone. Sola Gracia. Grace alone. And then Sola Fide. Faith alone. Now, I said we're going to start with this first one, Sola Scriptura. The Bible and only the Bible as the basis for everything that we believe. Now, this has sometimes been called the material principle of our church because it touches the very foundation of everything that you and I hold to be true and believe. I mean, for example, how can you know the truth about God? I mean, when churches cannot agree or when the church or a pastor is wrong, how do we know? 
Well, the Reformers said we go back to sola scriptura. The Bible, because it stands supreme. The Bible alone is the pure and undefiled Word of God. I'm going to read you a statement that comes from the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. That's our denomination. This is what they have to say about the Bible. We believe that the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament, are the inspired Word of God and therefore without error in its original writings. We further believe that this inspiration is not in different degrees, but extends equally and fully to all parts of the Bible, historical, poetical, doctrinal, and prophetical. We therefore believe in the absolute authority of the Bible in all matters of faith and practice. Now, a number of years ago when I was teaching down at Angola Prison, one of the men in one of my classes, I asked him what he thought about the Bible and he said, it is the undisputed word of God. He said, you heard about an undisputed heavyweight champion? The Bible is the undisputed word of God. Nobody can challenge it. Now, Protestants have normally used three different terms. You'll see this up on the screen. It's kind of a big thing. But they, we talk about verbal plenary inspiration. And I know it's going to sound like a, a doctrine lesson today, but I think it's important for us to know there's three really key words for you to understand what we really believe about this Bible. Inspiration. We talked about this in confirmation this last week, whether you remember it or not. Inspiration is breathed out by God. Holy men of God spoke as God breathed into them, and they wrote down using their own gifts, their words, and their own personal style. Plenary just means it extends to every part of the Bible. In other words, everything in this Bible... It's true. It's all God's Word. It's not some of God's Word. It's not part of God's Word. This is God's Word. And verbal means down to the very words of the text. What is written is written. Now, what does this mean in practical terms? Well, let me give you a number of different things. First of all, the Bible is the objective Word of God. And by objective, I want to just tell you that the Bible is the Word of God no matter how people receive it. The Bible is the Word of God whether you read it or not. The Bible is the Word of God whether you believe it or not. The Bible is the Word of God whether you obey it or not. You just can't change the fact that the Bible is the Word of God. And the moment you start saying, I don't know if the Bible is all the Word of God, guess what? You and I have parted company. And probably you've parted company with the doctrinal statement, of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and probably moved away from many of the Protestant churches. Here's the second thing. The Bible is the supreme revelation of God's truth. No other book can compare. I think most of you know that the number one bestseller year after year after year after year is what? It's the Bible. More Bibles are stolen than any other book year after year. I can never quite figure why people want to steal it. But that's a good thing. Most of you probably have more than one Bible. I mean, in fact, every time I ever go down to prison, I grab a couple of Bibles and I give them away. And they're kind of like rabbits. They just keep multiplying back in my office, though, again. So i got more to give away. The Bible stands alone in all of the religious texts in this world. Here's the third thing. The Bible's message of salvation is plain enough so that anybody and everybody can understand it. You want to know how to be saved? 
Hey, the Bible is amazingly clear. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't need to be a genius because it is so plain, so simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Most people can figure that one out. When I went to the seminary, they always like to give us big words. Every once in a while I like to trot out a big word just to show you I actually went to the seminary. Uh, But the word was perspicuity. You ever heard that one before? (laughs) Perspicuity. Uh, Perspicuity means that even though a lot of things in the Bible may sometimes seem to be difficult to understand, the main reason for giving the word, which is to help bring us to Jesus Christ, is very clear. Now, you may not understand why there are so many begats and all that kind of stuff in the book of Leviticus, but when it comes to knowing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, that's pretty simple. Most everybody can grasp that. Here's a longer one, number four. No creed or counsel or word from any pope or pastor or any private prophecy or supposed word of God, not any vision, dream, or modern-day revelation can overturn, add to, or subtract from the Bible's truth. By the way, have you ever read to the end of this book? I hate to give away an ending to any book, but we win in the end. Sorry, I let that out of the bag. But if you read to the very end of the book, you know what it says? That anybody who adds or subtracts from this, well, if you add to it, it says that God is going to add to you all the plagues that are talked about in this Bible. And it said if you subtract anything from it, God is going to subtract your name from the book of life. I mean, that's that's pretty important to understand that no one has any right to add or subtract to this book. I think this is very crucial today in our society uh, because there are so many so-called prophets out there today. Uh, What Jimmy read to you before, in the end times, there are people who are going to say, well, I think the Bible means this. I think the Bible means that. You've got to do this and this and this. And what we need to do is go back to the Word of God. Number five, the Scripture judges the church. The church does not judge the Scripture. And by that, we just mean that the Bible not only gives us the message we are to pass around to people, it also stands in judgment over our methods. We must do God's work and do it God's way as revealed in God's Word. Just that simple. Number six, since the Bible is the supreme revelation of God's truth, our supreme duty as Christians is what? To know it, to believe it, to preach it, to obey it. Now, we are Christians, I understand that, but maybe a subcategory of that might be we should probably be Biblians too. That we ought to be lovers of the Word, and even as the Word says, to be prepared in and out of season to give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus. Now, I know a lot of people, you know, when people get asked hard questions, they sure wish the pastor was around to answer them. You know, dial 1-800-CALL-DOC. Well, but it says we can be prepared too. We can know it. To read it, learn it, mark it, and like the old liturgy said, and inwardly digest it. Now, number seven, it says the meekest Christian who stands on the truth of God's word has more wisdom than the so-called wise men of our ages. 
You know, some of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard are by people who simply said, God said it, that's enough for me. David, back in Psalm 119, said, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need teachers. It doesn't mean we don't need leaders, that we should all be spiritual renegades. But it does mean that one man with the word of God may confidently speak truth and power, knowing that the Almighty God is on his side. I found a song this morning I really wish we had done. The kids who were in VBS, I think, two years would remember this song. It was called The Bible Bop, where you were going to learn how to say all the books of the Bible. In fact, I challenged the confirmation kids last week, first one to recite all the books of the Bible. I've got a prize for them, brand new Bible. But then I thought, well, we probably should have sung today is this one. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. That's a pretty simple song, and I would suggest to you that most of you probably learned that at some time growing up. And in that simple little song is tremendous spiritual truth. I stand alone on the Word of God. In other words, you sing that, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. You have just said sola scriptura, and you didn't even know it. So we come to a very simple conclusion. What the Bible says, God says. Somebody said one time that the Bible is the supreme court from which there is no appeal. Now, what's this got to do with us today? I've given you a little bit of a church history lesson on the Bible, but what has this got to do with us today. And I want to just share some implications for us living out our Christian lives today. Here's number one. Regarding history and tradition, sola scriptura teaches us to respect history but not be bound by it. Now, one of my favorite Christian authors is J.I. Packer. And I just want to read you a little statement he says. He said, church history is like one long Bible study in which Augustine, Aquinas, Anselm, Luther, Calvin, Spurgeon, and many others have taken part, we ought to respect the thinking of those who have gone before, especially those godly men and women who have labored to correctly understand and apply the Bible. But in the end, we turn only to the Bible. Isn't that interesting? We respect all these great and wonderful Bible teachers. But in the end, we come back to the Bible. Now, we do that in history. In fact, today in our worship service, uh, following our message today, we're going to respond to God's Word with a bit of history. It comes in the form of one of our ancient creeds. And we do that regularly, whether it's the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or other statements of Christian doctrine. But these statements can never be used to ever overturn the clear teaching of the Bible. The truth ultimately led Martin Luther out of the Roman Catholic Church, he came to the conclusion that we need to put the infallible Word of God ahead of anything else in the world. How am I going to make a decision? I want to go back and turn to the Word of God. 
Now, if at the end of this month you come to this little one-act play, I can almost guarantee you there's going to be a part that you all have heard of before. In fact, if he doesn't do it, I, I might, might be a little disappointed. But you may remember something that happened with Luther. The real moment of crisis in his life was when he was taken before the diet of worms, or the diet at worms, so it doesn't make it sound like he was forced to eat worms, but at the diet of worms when he was challenged by a guy whose name was Johann von Eck. And Luther was given the opportunity to renounce everything he'd said. Let me read you Luther's words. Luther replied, quote, Unless I am convinced by testimonies of Scripture or by evident reason, for I believe neither the Pope nor councils alone, since it is established that they've often erred and contradicted themselves, I'm the prisoner of the Scriptures cited by me, and my conscience has been taken captive by the Word of God, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me, amen. That's sola scriptura. In the end, all I've got left to stand on is the word of God. I had a professor in college said that, you know, if you think about the Bible as being a hand, and you're willing to give up one finger, chances are you'll give up two and sooner or later you'll give up three and maybe four and five, and at the end you have nothing to hold on to anymore. We just can't give it up. Here's the second thing. Sola Scriptura gives us a foundation for standing against the moral decline of modern society. Anybody ever heard of Cassius Marcellus Clay? I bet you didn't. You think I'm talking about Muhammad Ali. I'm not. Cassius Marcellus Clay was born in 1810. He was the son of a slave, uh, a slaveholder who became an ardent abolitionist after he graduated from Yale University. Later, Cassius Marcellus Clay served in the Union Army and ended up being an ambassador in Russia. He was also a lawyer, and he was a member of the Kentucky legislature. One time when he was called on to settle a dispute, he placed the Bible on the table and he said, this is for people who believe in the law of God. And then he took a copy of the Constitution and placed it on the Bible and said, and this is for people who believe in the law of men. And then he finally put a gun on top of the Constitution and said, this is for those who believe in neither. Now, that from history has always struck me. I mean, when you turn away from the Bible as absolute truth, you eventually come to man-made law, or you come to the point of those who use brute force because you've got nothing left. I mean, why is it, have you ever thought about why is it today that our public leaders turn to opinion polls so very much? I mean, some people couldn't govern without an opinion poll. I just suggest to you that maybe that in part is because we no longer believe in absolute truth. I mean, once you start veering away from fixed principles like the Bible, the principles are right and wrong, what are you left with? Now, this may sound pretty straightforward, but, you know, some things are wrong no matter who says they're right. Some things are true no matter who says they're false. I mean, this debate has gone all the way back to the beginning of time. I mean, what was the very first thing Satan said? He said, is, is it true that God has spoken? 
He challenged the very word of God. I mean, has God spoken? I'd say the answer is yes. And God never stuttered. God never mumbled. And God never pretended to be politically correct. Now, there's a question of unity. That's the third thing. Not long ago, in the Chicago Tribune, it had a story about a very slow move in America. Maybe some of you have read about this towards organizational unity of the five largest Protestant denominations in America. And they they discussed this, and they said after failed attempts at unity, they're going to ultimately succeed because the church being unified is a good thing. Wouldn't it be great if we could get all of these denominations all back together again? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, you know, on... At that point, I'd say Christians may partially agree. In the New Testament, over and over, it says that the unity is based on what? Jesus Christ. But the unity comes based upon the Word of God. I mean, unity is always good, but unity is never good at the expense of truth. That explains why, I guess, for example, we really don't participate with what we might call Lutheran or with liberal churches and why sometimes churches might choose not to deal with us. In the end, it's very simple. It's because we really have nothing in common with some of these other churches. I mean, that's why we don't participate in joint worship services or why we don't trade pulpits with members of other Christian denominations. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, What fellowship does light have with darkness? I mean, what we simply do is follow what God's Word says in Psalm 119. I'm a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. In other words, we are happy to work with people who do what? Accept the Bible as God's clear word of truth and who profess a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, certainly you and I need to love God's children, gladly fellowship with people, but never compromise our convictions which are based upon the Word of God. There's one last point here, and that's the way of salvation. And this is really the whole key to the Reformation. Luther and those who followed him said that salvation was not in the church. Salvation was not found in the councils. Salvation was found where? Only in Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't save you. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves you. But where do you find the gospel? Where is the gospel found? Well, i got news for some of you. You don't find it on the Oprah Winfrey show. You don't find it by listening to Rosie O'Donnell. You don't find it by listening to Jay Leno. You don't find it by listening to Dr. Oz or Geraldo Rivera. I mean, you can't even find it by following your favorite sports team. You don't find it listening to the gospel of Bart Simpson. Uh, You just don't get the gospel that way. So where is the gospel found? Right here in this book, this is where the good news of Jesus Christ is found. Friends, at the end of the day, the issue is this. Has God spoken? Has God spoken? And if God has spoken, has God spoken the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And if God has actually spoken the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth... Where can we find it? I mean, those are the questions for today. You hear them all the time. 
Has God spoken and has God spoken the truth? Now, the question of biblical authority is not just some sort of a debate that takes place out there. It's a supreme question. And I'd say until you can answer those questions, you haven't settled the issue. Has God told the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and where can you find that truth? Now, we are Protestants, and we ought to be proud of that. We are Lutherans, and we ought to be proud of that. The very fact that we even identify ourselves as Missouri Synod Lutherans, we ought to be proud of that. We stand with Martin Luther and a whole host of other people who staked everything on the truth of sola scriptura, the Bible and only the Bible. Now, that's a very high view of Scripture, I know. But I'm trying to differentiate between what we believe versus what other people believe. And there are a lot of people who do not fully accept the Word of God anymore. We believe that the Bible is divinely inspired, that it's verbally true, its inspiration goes to every last part, it is a God-breathed message from the Father, and therefore it is absolutely authoritative in everything it says. Every last word is absolutely true. And we ought to be able to say that even though we don't always fully understand it. Or we could probably choose to go the other way of many churches today who say, well, maybe God said it once, but it doesn't apply today. Or maybe God didn't really mean it. Or I don't really accept this part of Scripture. See, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe this church believes that too. We believe it is the Word of God, and we're going to stand firmly on it. Now, I'm going, to st- I'm going to end by asking you four questions. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm going to ask you a question, and if your answer is yes, I want you with the whole congregation just to respond with the words, we do. Got that? Okay. Question number one. Do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? We do. Do you believe that the Bible is God-breathed so that it is true and truth alone and truth without any mixture of error? Do you believe that the Bible reveals the message of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you believe that the Bible is able to thoroughly equip you in every way to live a God-pleasing life? Okay, now that you've said we do the four things, if you believe these things, read this book. I'm looking at one who told me that within a year I can come back to him and he will have read this whole book. Wouldn't that be great if everybody would say, I'll do that too. If you believe these things, study this book. Get involved with the Bible study, women's Bible study, adult Bible study, any form of study of Bible. If you believe these things, memorize this book. The Bible says, hide these things in your heart so that you might not sin. If you believe these things, then meditate on this book. Think about it. If you believe these things, take this book and put it in your heart so you never lose it. And if you believe these things... Take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ out the front door and share it with other people and proclaim it everywhere that you go. I mean, friends, never ever be ashamed to be a Bible-believing Christian. Never be ashamed to believe any part of it. Never be ashamed to take your stand upon the Word of God. After all, His Word is true. 
His word is a firm foundation, and his word will last forever. It's in his word that we find the greatest truth that God loves sinners, that God saves sinners, and he does it through his son, Jesus. That's what we're going to look at next week. Sola Christus. No other name given by man under heaven is capable of saving. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that you have not left us alone. You don't cast us off to wonder who you are, but you've given us a more sure and certain word from heaven. You give us your word to believe and obey. So I pray that you make us people of the book, make us people who believe it, make us people who will stake our very lives upon it. Let us go from this place, O Lord, to share the good news of Jesus with men and women who desperately need to hear it. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.